You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. We have been talking for a couple of weeks about spiritual gifts, and then we've transitioned to the idea of the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit give, give, gives gifts, and a lot of the church is very excited about that. But it is not the full extent of what he wants to do in your life. And to fixate on the gifts, which I earnestly desire, I'm all in, but to fixate on the gifts at the expense of the other activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives is not to go deep, it's to be childish. A lot of people think, so I'm really, they're really deep, they're into all of the gifts of the Spirit. You, you know, Balaam had a donkey that was operating under the power of the Holy Spirit. So you can still be really rough around the edges and operate in the gifts. He's saying, embrace the gifts and embrace the fruit. Anybody and anything can be empowered by and minister in the gifts of the Spirit, but it takes spiritual vibrancy and maturity to produce fruit in our lives. And I don't want to be all about just the sizzle and wow. I want to be about maturity in our own lives. We spent the last few weeks talking about the power of the gifts of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit, and now we're just continuing as we talk about the fruit. I'd like to lean into the study of the fruit of the Spirit with the same zeal that we have for the gifts. When we lived in Cincinnati, we would run outreach every Saturday morning through our church, and we had guys that we sent out to... um, what were they doing? Going door to door and, and, and giving people. I think, I think batteries were running out for, for uh, smoke detectors. Time to change your batteries. So we were sending people to neighborhoods to give away batteries so they could change your smoke detectors and then offer to pray for people. And it was going great. Well, these two guys didn't come back from outreach. And I was a little concerned because we'd send them into a shady area and they just didn't come back and they were a little shady themselves. But they didn't come back. And so they come back like two hours later and they're soaked in sweat. They're exhausted. And I'm like, what happened to you guys? And they said, oh, we went to give this lady a battery, and she came out, opened her door, and said, don't come on my porch. So we stepped back, and we asked her why, and she said, because the city has condemned my porch, and it's not, it's not safe. So they said, we tore her porch off. I'm like, wait, you did what? Yeah, we tore her porch off, and now we're going to Lowe's, and we're going to get the stuff. We're going to go back, and we're going to rebuild her porch. They didn't ask for finances to do it. They, did, they just did it for this lady. I think... The Lord smiles on that, that kind of public, extravagant activity of the fruit of the spirit of generosity. I think he's excited about that as he is about people speaking in tongues. Gifts are a demonstration of power in our lives, and they are given freely. They enable us to accomplish great things for God. But the fruit of the spirit are proof of process. They're dividends of discipleship. There are the working of the Lord in our lives and coming out in ways that others can see. We are never forced to choose between gifts and fruit. I said last week, you don't have to declare a major. You don't have to say, I'm kind of a gifts guy. Get your own fruit. You don't have to say, I'm all fruit guy. I don't operate in the gifts. The timing of this passage in Galatians that we're going to read again is so important because, again, Paul writes to the Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit chronologically before Acts 15. So it's in the middle of Book of Acts, signs and wonders, people being healed, raised from the dead, crazy, massive evangelism. In the middle of this, Paul says to the Galatians, hey, bring it in. 
Let's talk about the fruit. Because revival and the fruit of the Spirit are not opposites. You should see both of them. Paul writes of this dramatic contrast, and we divided it up into two sides last week. The first side, Galatians 5, 19 to 24. On the left, you have what we call the default world. This is the world you were born in. When, you were, when they brought you home and opened you up and took you out of the box, this is how you were set. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and these things and the like. I warn you, as I warned you before, this was not a one-time conversation. It's like, I told you that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, nobody looks at that left side and goes, I can make a life out of that. Like, nobody goes, yeah, you know, I mean, not all of it, but yeah, there's things there that I could embrace and I could live that way. Everybody knows that to live on the left side of that line costs too much. It's just disastrous. Nobody admittedly wants to live there, but that's our default world. You're like, eh, sorceries and orgies? Eh, that's really not been my world. No, but strife, jealousy? You find those at Costco. You can manifest those in Costco. If we don't want to live in that default world, then there's only one other place to go, but it takes manually adjusting our own settings to get there on the other side of the line. And let's just read this together because sometimes there's power in saying it ourselves, okay? Read this with me. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, those that belong to Jesus have X'd out the left side. They said, we want to live over here on the right side. Paul describes the anti-world to the default world. The opposite of the sensuality and the jealousy and the division. All of that. And he says it's all over on the right side of the line. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And while there are gifts that are given, fruit is cultivated. You farm that stuff. That's how you get fruit. We talked last week about four stages of production of fruit of the Spirit in your lives. And we're just going to race through those first three real quick. He talks about planting. You have, at the time of conception, the DNA of God placed in you. Like, the image of God is placed in you. And then when you give your life to Jesus... Because of his death on the cross, that seed germinates and it has the capacity to grow and to manifest the things on the right side of that line. It's all in there, but not everything that gets planted germinates and not even everything that germinates grows. Something being planted in you does not mean you automatically manifest it down the road. That takes some attention and some cultivation and maturity. And sometimes things can be planted in you and you can even begin to see them grow and then by your own actions, you destroy it yourself. We used to grow a row of potatoes out near our house when I was growing up. Just one row, one long row for our family on a big 160-acre field. And as probably 15, 16 years old, I'm working in the field cultivating it and I get to the end of the field and I look and I see and I think... What a strangely long row of weeds. 
And I dropped the cultivator, and I just ripped the fire out of the whole potato patch. I mean, I just cultivated. No potatoes are growing yet. Like, I just destroy a whole year's worth of potatoes in about 30 seconds. You can almost hear the Apostle Paul. I planted, Apollos watered, and Randy mowed it down. What's the point? What is planted in you will not grow without attention being given to it, without you focusing on it, without you saying, okay, it's coming, but I want more. The Spirit guides you with the balls in your court and the rackets in your hand. And it's up to you to see if those things come forward. You say, well, Randy, I want self-control. How do, you get, how do I get self-control? Well, you got to control yourself. Wait a minute. Yeah, you control yourself, and when you begin to see that develop, it strengthens. How do you develop faithfulness? Keep doing the thing you're supposed to do. And that muscle gets stronger. How do I develop patience? Wait. You actually participate with the fruit that the Holy Spirit wants to grow in your life. My point is this. Quit looking for the fruit of the Spirit to be delivered as a fruit basket in your life. DoorDash is not coming. You grow that yourself. Seeds are planted, then seeds that are attended to, and seeds that are fostered and protected begin to grow. Next step in this is sacrifice. To see fruit, some of what you are putting energy and time and money to has got to be redirected towards the cause. You cannot produce today's fruit with yesterday's behavior or values. If you had paid the price for fruit, you'd already have it. It's going to take a greater investment of your energy, a greater investment of your sincerity, a greater investment of your effort to master things like self-control and to achieve joy and to walk in those gifts. Don't blame your lack of fruit in your life on your personality. You ever have people say, I just, I'm just not wired that way. I'm just not wired to be generous. I'm just not wired to be long-suffering. I'm not wired to be all... The personality test industry is rooted in man's eternal desire to have a reason why they don't have to change. And I'm all for them, okay? I don't care if you're an INTJ, ENTJ, three, five, seven, or nine. I don't care. Don't use those as an excuse to say, I can't be XYZ. I've literally had people explain their dysfunction to me with an Enneagram number. I'm like, that is not a user's manual for you to give to me, okay? I don't have to work around your quirks. You got to work them out. Let me explain everybody's personality at birth. You're broken. Then you became a toddler. You're broken. Adolescent. Broken. Teenager, young adult. Come to Jesus. Give him your whole heart. You're redeemed. Still kind of broken. And you have to work through that, and it's worth it, and it's possible because what he's done. 2 Corinthians 5.15, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves on the left side of the line. He dies, and what's in him goes in you and germinates, so you don't have to live in that default world, but for him who their sake died and was raised. The world says, you know, I, I can't sacrifice who I am to be anything else. I have to be true to myself. The believer knows self is pretty jacked up. And you can't afford to be true to yourself. You would challenge yourself and you would pay any price to achieve fruit. A believer who wants to produce fruit will pay any price in time or cost or attention. And those first fruits are costly. 
They're, they cost you the most. So things are planted, sacrifices are made, and you see initial fruit. You remember doing something for the first time and failing miserably and then thinking, I will never get better at this? Ever done that? That is my relationship with golf. Okay? I have not touched a golf club in over 30 years, and you are all grateful for that if you saw me. I remember my college golf instructor. I took a PE class. That little golf looks easy. It can't be that hard. Hit a ball with a stick. I remember him saying the first day, the great part about golf is anyone can get better. The end of the semester, he amended that. He would say the best part about golf is most people can get better because I did not get better. But you do know what it's like to try something and you do get a little bit. Remember the first time you rode a bike and you made it all the way to the bottom of the driveway without piling it? It's like, oh, I got a little better. It was hard, it was costly, it had skin knees, but you saw growth. That first bit of producing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives comes at a high cost, high effort. And to be honest, it's not our best work that we produce, but it is the first and it is spectacular to the Lord. Maybe you struggle with patience, and after disciplining yourself and asking him for intervention, one day you notice you went to the DMV and your heart rate didn't go over 100. You're like, that doesn't feel like a big deal. To some of you, that's a huge deal. And it's the beginning of fruit. Maybe you struggle with sadness, and one day you just, you, you realize that you're joyful, and you're spreading it rather than sucking it from everybody. And it's that first fruit, and you're just, oh, that's, that's a little better. And on your faith journey, when you begin to see his manifestations of his character in your life, it's the most exciting thing in the world to realize you're getting a little better. Because you know you couldn't have done it completely on your own. You couldn't have changed without the power of the Spirit to help you develop the fruit of the Spirit. But when you develop that muscle of self-control that allows gentleness to be put on display or you step out in generosity and you see yourself willing to give what you weren't willing to give before, might be a little thing before other people, but it is a huge thing before God. And you're able to stand before him and saying, I'm beginning to reflect the character that you died for. Like I'm beginning to give people a glimpse of how great you are, God. It's not like they're going to see me and you know, confuse me with you, Lord, but they're going to get a picture. And we suddenly find ourselves not living in that default world on the left side of the line, full of brokenness, but in a new world, we are manifesting the characteristics of Christ, like the writer of Psalms indicated, and suddenly you're not a little green shoot anymore. You're that verse in Psalms that we read last week, Psalms 1-3, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither in all that he does he prospers that's what he wants to make out of you now i told you four stages and we managed to get fruit in three some of you think that i've miscounted and we're going home no 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 because it's not the end not at all what we're going to talk about in this fourth stage is actually hard to swallow it is misinterpreted it is avoided, it is rebuked, it is called the act of the devil, but it is often the hand of God in your life to ensure that there is more fruit where that fruit came from. And to give you a little hint, it involves pain. Some of you are thinking, well, then I must be to stage four because I am in more pain than you can imagine. And many of you are. 
And not all pain is created equal. You know that? Pain comes in different ways. Some pain, self-inflicted. A couple of weeks ago I said, and, and I've had this brought to my memory by many of you, you, you can't cure stupid. Like it just is, right? And all of us have flare-ups. We all have, we have, we're like, we have latent stupidity and then we have flare-ups from time to time. And you can't seem to cure it. People go out and they buy a car they can't afford. They suffer for 72 months with a bad decision. Sometimes it's not just a bad economic decision. Sometimes they make a decision from that sin base that we talked about on the left side of the line. And then they have to walk out the ramifications of that. They've caused their own pain. Galatians 6, 7 says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he reap. Some of that pain we cause ourselves. Jeremiah 17, 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Some of the pain that we encounter in life, we have caused ourselves. Have you ever started with a bad day and it was a worse day by the end of the day and you were only the only common figure? Okay, it's like, ah, I kind of I created that mess myself. Some pain we, are caused, we cause ourselves. There's also pain that exists just because we live in a fallen world. Sometimes it's because we're broken, sometimes it's because everybody else is broken. Or the world is broken. You know the earth is as broken as your heart is. I think of people who battle cancer or suffer some sort of dramatic loss, and it is often completely disconnected to how they've lived their lives. People do cause some of their own pain, but a great deal of the pain in the world is caused just by the state of the broken world. And people have always tried to pin other people's misfortunes on their behavior. When something bad happens to somebody, just, maybe they say it out loud, maybe secretly, but people try and figure out what happened to that person so they can explain it away because if they can explain what happened to that person, then that won't happen to them because I'm a better person than they are. Jesus, grossly paraphrased, said something like, that dog won't hunt. Okay, that's not in the Greek, but it's kind of what he was getting at. Let me give you context for this. In the time of Jesus' ministry, Pilate had a habit of harming Jews who got out of line. We forget when we read the New Testament, it's occupied territory. They are occupied by the Romans. There aren't as many Romans as there are Jews in the land, but they occupy and manipulate and domineer the Jews, and they do that largely through terror. Because Pilate is given to these radical uh, moments of mass killings and all these crazy things. It's how large groups of people are controlled by small groups of people. You have to keep them afraid. South Carolina in 1860... There were far more slaves than there were free people. How did they keep them captive? They kept by terror. That's what's going on in the early church and in the, the first centuries there. Context tells us that Galilean Jews had been murdered by Pilate. And then to add insult to injury, Pilate did the most offensive thing he could do. He mingled their blood with the blood of the sacrifices. Imagine a governmental official coming into our own worship services with the bodies of people that he had killed because they believed like us and then mutilating the body. That's the kind of terror Pilate afflicted on these Galileans. And 
People who are following Jesus ask him, what's, what's the deal with the Galileans? And he understands what they're getting at. They are trying to blame the pain of those Galileans on surely they did something wrong. Surely they must have brought this on themselves. You guys have seen this, haven't you? You've seen when, when there are natural disasters. There's, you know, there's always some weird prophetic word about what happened there and it was always because those people were worse than us. Jesus answers this way. This is the, what I have loosely translated as that dog won't hunt. Luke 13, 2-5. And he answered them, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell. He brings in another natural disaster. This tower fell and killed these, eight, killed these 18 people. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who live in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He said, we're all troubled. We're all in the wrong. Don't think that those, the pain those people are going through is because of something unique that they did. Some pain we bring on ourselves. Some pain just happens because we live in a broken world. Some pain we cause ourselves. Some happens for no specific reason. But there is another kind of pain that is directly related to our behavior, sometimes our bad behavior, sometimes our good behavior. And that's hard for us to get our head around. I understand that I've got to pay a price for my own stupid. Okay, when I do so, I, I get that. I understand I've caused myself pain. I understand the world is broken and sometimes that causes us all pain. But the Bible is saying that sometimes the hardest things we go through are actually related to our obedience and progress in the Lord. That's the truth and it's the only way to explain some parts of your life. Pop Christianity will tell you that God wants you always to be expanding, always to be happy, always to be uh, going to another plane, always to be successful, always to be up, 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 up. We like to say that kind of thing preaches well, it doesn't pastor very well because it doesn't match up with people's experiences. We plant, we sacrifice, we see initial fruit, and then we undergo pruning. When we are at the top of our game, the most productive we've ever been, and then the Lord decides to prune us back. He doesn't do that to punish us. He does that so we will produce more fruit. It's not discipline, it's agriculture. And it is the love of God who is so excited about the fruit he sees in your life that he says, oh, I want more of what this one is producing, but what I want to see produced in their life cannot bear these dead branches. So I'm going to trim those back so that they can really produce fruit. John 15 lays this all out, and we're going to look at, we're going to look at it out of order a little bit. So those of you that are real anal about reading verses in line, I, I'm sorry, it's going to cause you some pain. It's my own brokenness. But we're going, to, we're going to read them out of order just to get a little logical sense to it. But we are going to start at verse 1. John 15, 1. I am the true vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. Do you ever make references that nobody understands? Story of my, some of you are like, you do it all the time, Randy. Yeah, I do. Okay, I realize that. We all make references that people don't understand. Maybe they weren't around for that. Everybody understood this when he made this reference. Jesus is not pulling this example. People are not going, vine, what, what's he talking about? No, 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 no. The idea of the vine representing the people of God is one they've heard before. Psalm 88 and 9 says, I brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove, you drove the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. Jesus 
had used the idea himself, teaching in Matthew 21 about the parable of the vineyard. So this was not unique language to them, this idea of a vineyard and and a vine. That was all very common. But he says to them, I am the true vine. He was stressing, Israel's not the vine. Your national identity is not the vine. Your culture is not the vine. Your political party's not the vine. Your denomination's not the vine. Your tribe is not the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine. And to be connected to me is to know life. He says, it's me. My father is the vine dresser or the caretaker. The caretaker, why does a caretaker grow vines? Likes vines. No, he wants to see fruit. He wants to see something come from it. So John 15, drop to verse 3, go to 5. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, much fruit. That's what we want. We've seen a little fruit. We saw it was planted. We made some sacrifices. We saw first fruit. We want more of that. And when he says you're clean and you're already producing fruit, the word clean there, what he's talking about is your vines have already been dressed to to some extent. I've I've already crafted you in a way that you are geared to produce fruit. And you can participate in that. You want to clean your own vines a little bit? Be exposed to his word more and more and more and more. He tells them they're clean because you have heard me. You've walked with me. You've heard some of these sermons nine times. You know all of this, and it has affected your heart. You're better than you were. I'm telling you, we don't have the liberty to walk with Jesus like they did, but expose yourself to the words of the Bible. It will make the biggest difference. Read your Bible like they were going to take it away. It will change you. And he goes on to speak about the power of abiding with them, building a life so integrated with Jesus himself that you don't have any hidden areas that belong to you. Some of you married people that had hidden areas. You're like two years down the road going, what? I didn't know that was there. And you unpack those over time, and he is saying to people, he goes, you don't walk with me like that. No hidden areas. We are together. We abide together. There's no intimacy without transparency. There's no abiding with Christ if you hold anything in reserve. And Jesus said, if you allow the word to refine you and to determine, you determine to abide with him, you're going to bear a lot of fruit. You might be satisfied with that first crop. And he said, I'm not. There's more. We used to live over on 108th Street on the Kansas, on the Missouri side, and uh, this was like an acre yard. It had a peach tree on it that yearly would produce one peach. And about a week before that peach was ripe, a squirrel, I'm convinced the same squirrel, would eat the peach. And it was like, ah, here we go again, okay? Jesus is talking not about one peach that a squirrel eats. He's talking about a bounty of fruit that comes from exposure to his word and building a life in abiding with him so that every decision that you make is resting with this. Okay, Jesus, what are we going to do now? You got to wake up every morning. Okay, Jesus, what are we going to do now? That's what it means to abide with him. Now we skipped a verse. Now we're going to jump back and take a look because it is a doozy and we want to look at it in two parts and that's where I want to land this. John 15, verse 2 starts out. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch in him that does not bear fruit, he takes away or he prunes. He explains something a little further in John 15, 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he was thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. That's not the same person he's talking about here. He's talking about two different people. He's talking about believers who are not producing fruit. He goes, I, I trim those back considerably. He's talking about other people who don't abide with him. He says, they, they're cast into the fire. There is coming a moment where those who are not in Christ will be thrown away like a branch into the fire. That picture here is strong. But he also talks about trimming back and pruning people who claim to be with him but don't produce any fruit. That verb, takes away, is also translated lifted up. He's like, he adjusts your vines. He twists, he turns, so you get more exposure to him and to the sun, and so that you eventually grow fruit. This is how serious he is about fruit in your life. There is coming a time when he will not allow us to play church in any form or fashion. There's coming a time when he's going to visit us and those who are in him, and I hate to use air quotes, but who are saying they're walking with him but there is no fruit in their lives where the Lord himself says, we're going to make some adjustments in your life because I need to see fruit. So those that say that they're in him but do not bear fruit face a great awakening of one kind or another. You're going, okay, but if I produce a little fruit, I'm good, right? <laughs> like, if, I'm, if I, there's, you know, like four grapes and that peach and the squirrel's not here yet, so I'm producing a little bit, is that good? Guess what? If you're producing fruit, I've got a half a Bible verse for you. Second part of John 15, verse 2. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Y'all are waiting for the up part, aren't you? That's just how the verse ends. Everybody who produces fruit, he prunes. Some of your pain is caused because we caused it. Some of your pain is caused because it's just life. And some pain and difficulty in your life is the hand of the Lord to cause us to press into him so that the meager fruit that we are producing can become much fruit. You're like, Randy, it sounds like I'm up for a pruning one way or the other. Facts. It's true. You live long enough, you're going to lose a few limbs. Nobody gets to glory with all their digits intact. He prunes. If you're not producing fruit, he prunes. If you're producing fruit, he prunes. And sometimes he prunes for some combination of every reason that causes pain. This will be extremely vulnerable for a couple minutes here. And I don't even know that I could have shared this even six months ago, but I'm there now. Sometimes the pruning that takes place is a little bit of all three sorts of pain. It is a little bit of I did this to myself. It is a little bit of we're in a broken world. And it's a little bit of the Lord sees fruit in our lives and he wants to see more fruit. The last three years of all of our lives have been incredibly unpredictable. But it started with a very painful season for us in ministry. Because a couple months before COVID, we had a very painful season in ministry just blow up on us. 
Never talked about this publicly. I'm not going to get into the details right now. It was not a sin issue. But I will say it was excruciating. And we cried a lot of tears. Going into it, we were seeing fruit. I mean, we were seeing good things happen. Lives were being changed and people were waking up to walking in the things of the spirit. It was good. Anybody would have looked at that with an honest heart and said, there's fruit here. And then it all went haywire. For very complex reasons that I don't want to oversimplify or give motive to other people. But there were people who might have liked the fruit, but they weren't happy with me. And so some things were said about me that were not true. Some things were said about me that were twisted. And to be fair, a few things were probably said that were true. That I brought on myself. I just want to repeat, it was complicated. And no one in the situation was entirely to blame. And no one in the situation was entirely blameless. And I include myself in that. I went to Bible college in Springfield, Missouri. And we had these great Bible college professors. Who at the time I thought were very old. This is a true story. There's a text thread between a couple of us who went to college about two weeks ago about the Bible college president who we all thought was in his 70s and we realized now was 45. It's what it's like to be 20. Okay, you think everybody's old. But these guys I thought were old and they had pastored these little hard scrabble churches in Arkansas and the Ozarks and, and they had the craziest stories about church government blowing up. And I remember being 20, 22, thinking, man, I'm glad that stuff doesn't happen anymore. And we made it to our 50s with that not happening, you know? And then we took two to the chest. We did not dodge that bullet. And it hurt. It was excruciating. The thing that I thought I was good at, I had told I was terrible at. People who I had trusted turned on me. Others who I knew liked me didn't say anything. That was harder. And I remember for months, it was so traumatic that Kelsey would send me to Target and I would sit in the parking lot and have to psych myself up to go in. Put earbuds in and listen to the same music over and over again. Go in and I remember something my dad said when we lost a sister, my my sister in a car wreck. He didn't want to go to town anymore and he said, I'm afraid I'll see people and they won't say anything, and I'm afraid I'll see people and they'll say something. Like, I didn't know what I wanted. It just was painful. And some of you walked through that season with us, and you suffered as well. After I got done complaining to God about how unfair it was, after I got done crying on some broad shoulders of good friends, after I found the third counselor, because the first one just didn't gel, and the second one was more freaked out than I was, You just can't afford a counselor more freaked out than you are. I came to determine that nothing I could have done could undo what had happened. Couldn't undo it. Did I cause it? Did they cause it? Was it the devil? Was it the Lord? I don't know. It's just, it's complicated. But I couldn't undo it. And the group of people who had believed lies about me were never going to be in a room where I could sit down and say, let me explain my side. That was just never going to happen. I was going to have to live with what had happened, what was their fault, what was my fault, the whole mess. All that came to an end. I've really only been in this spot really for the last year. 
The question that remains is this. In light of pain, in light of pruning, all right, Jesus, what are we going to do today? What are you going to do now? Well, there was fruit there. Yeah, there can be more fruit on this side. Well, I thought I was doing the right thing. Yeah, and you could do more of the right now. We were seeing fruit in that season. In light of this, am I going to bear fruit or am I going just to focus on the fact that I've been pruned? We were concerned. We honestly, I thought maybe our ministry days are done. I don't know if we can recover from this emotionally. But even if people were used in a way that was not God's design, God's pruning through that situation was still for the purposes of producing more fruit in all of our lives. I honestly believe now that we can be more fruitful having been through it than what we might have been had nothing ever happened. I do know this. I do not want to waste that season. I do not want to look at that season of pain and go, well, we survived and that be the end. I want to look at that season and say, okay, even for the pruning, Lord, I want to bear more fruit than I did before. Not to show somebody. I don't even care anymore. But because this is what you have called us to do. And you said, if we produce a little fruit, you will prune us and we will produce more. So Lord, I don't want that to be for nothing. And I don't care if I caused it myself. I don't care if other people caused it. I don't care if I was 20% of the problem or 80% of the problem. I don't care if it was all the problem. Lord, let the pruning be done and let the fruit start. The Gospel of John goes on to describe in poetic, beautiful prose the life that finds itself hidden in Christ and producing fruit. I want to read this as we close. John 15, 7 to 11. If you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept the father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy, remember, most joyful man that ever lived on the planet, his joy overflowed. He had enough to give to everybody else. That my joy may be in you and that your joy might be complete. I want to ask if Zion would come down and come to the piano for a moment. As we close up, some of you wonder, Randy, why do you even tell that sliver of that painful story? Why do you even refer to that? Because many of you have gone through things as painful or worse. And you need to set your heart on fruit. Because if you do not, you're going to live in that. Don't let it be wasted. Don't even get consumed with, was that my fault? Was that their fault? What if I'd have said this? I wonder if I could have done that. You have lost a limb. Okay? You got pruned. All for one reason. That you could produce fruit that reflects the character of Jesus. And you could abide in him and you could walk with him. Gifts empower the church, but fruit is the living proof of what God is doing in your life. Even when you are getting pummeled, what comes out?
want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. When I talked about that season of pain, some of you resonated. It's like, Randy, I just got here. I don't even know what you're talking about, but you understand pain. And that pain has been caused by maybe family members. Maybe it's your work situation. Maybe it's your own mistakes. Maybe it's other people doing it to you. Maybe you're doing it to yourself. I implore you, move beyond the why and say, Jesus, on the other side of this, I want to give you fruit. I want to reflect the nature of Jesus in my life. I don't care what I did. I don't care what they did to me. I don't care about sorting it out. I want to move beyond. I'm willing to be pruned, but I don't want to live in that life. I want to live in the after where I am planted by the river and I am producing fruit in all seasons. Right now, if some of you are, you're stirring in that season of pain, you're going around and around and around. I get it. I get it. The Lord wants to bring you through that and put fruit on your tree. If you found yourself stuck in pain, why don't you just raise your hand right where you are. We're going to pray for you right where you are. Several. Jesus, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come right now. We ask that you would visit those cycling in pain. And Lord, we ask that you would release them from the question why. Release them from that good intention, wondering of what's the lesson to learn here. There are lessons to learn, Lord, but there is also fruit to bear. So as a church family, as a pastor, as a leader of this body, I collectively say with my brothers and sisters here today, Father, we want to see fruit beyond the pain. We want to move beyond the blame and the what and the why to this is what Jesus looks like in my life. Father, I pray that you would break off chains that were fastened to people at the time of their pruning and they thought they will never grow beyond it. I ask that you'd break lies off of people that they've heard so many times that they've started to ask the question, is this true about me? That you would end the circle bring people into the most fruitful season of their lives. Lord, I pray that people would look at the Bridge family and say that is a family full of joy and peace and generosity. They look like Jesus. And it would be in part because of what we've been through. We bring you our brokenness. We bring you our pain. We bring you the hurt, the confusion. We lay it at your feet and we say as a church body, what are we going to do today, Jesus? 
because that's the only thing that matters to us. Let's just stand and worship for a moment as we get ready to close. Because we love you, we want to bear fruit in our lives. We want to abide in the vine and wake up every morning and say, Jesus, what are we going to do today? So we put to rest all of those things that haunt us from the past. We release people right now from wrongs that have been done to us. We release ourselves from mistakes and we lean into the forgiveness that you offer. And we ask that you would make fruit abundant in our lives. Jesus, we thank you. We say the hardest things we can say. We thank you for pruning us if it means we walk more closely with you. Thank you for trimming us back in areas that needed to go anyway so that we could focus on being what is in your imagination for us rather than our own. Jesus, I pray a blessing over this beautiful group of people. May they see fruit in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great weekend. Go bear fruit.